from the White Letter Production Studios in Los Angeles, California. I'm Ellie Unger-Sargon, and this is The Cut Podcast. Is it okay? Is it working? Yeah, good. 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 My name is uh, I, work, I work with the, uh, the Royal Dutch Medical Association. Um, but before I start, I'd like to thank the organizers of this meeting for inviting me. And when they did invite me, I said, who is going to be in the audience? And I said, well, it's going to be an activist. So I said, well, that's cool. You mean I don't have to tell about complications? No, you don't have to tell about complications. I don't have to tell about that it's a violation of human rights? No, 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 no. You don't have to. I don't have to show them nasty pictures. No, you don't have to show them nasty pictures. <laughs> and that is so nice, because normally I have to get a lot of talks about circumcision, and usually it's a hostile environment. Oh, yeah, who I mean. So I have to show them nasty pictures of infected penises, of hemorrhages. I mean, they really, really spoil your appetite. You do, and then they'll say afterwards, they say, well, that doesn't, it does happen, but not so often. <laughs> so we can talk politics, which yes. we don't have to talk medicine, uh, we don't have to talk uh, human rights, because you know all that. And that's wonderful. I feel very much at ease. <laughs> Great. Good. Let me tell you a little bit about the, the, the KNMG, or the Royal Dutch Medical Association. It's the professional organization for physicians. I do talk too fast. Let me warn you about that. Um, if, if I was young, uh, they probably said I had a hyperactivity disorder, but when I was young, it still was seen as an advantage and not as a disease. <laughs> <laughs> if I talk too fast, they'd say, well, the doctors didn't recognize me. <laughs> right. It's comparable. It's a sister organization of the British Medical Association and the American Medi- Medical Association and the Finnish. And basically, every country has that. It was established in 1849, it's one of the oldest in the world, and it has 54,000 members, which is about 80% of all doctors in the Netherlands. This is our, uh, how do you call that, Uh, our mission statement, we promote the quality of healthcare. So what is important is that it's not a trade union. We have special uh, other organizations that deal with the financial interests of physicians, but the KMG does not. We never deal with any financial uh, things that have to do with, uh, with doctors which, like AFB, is different. All right. I have to tell you a little bit about the Netherlands also to understand the, the, the situation there. We have a high level of secularization. Secular, secularization, thank you. Um, so, and apparently it's one of the highest in the world. And besides that, we do have Christians, and as we always say, we have the best Christians in the world. <laughs> Meaning, Meaning that they, they will accept uh, that they live in a secularized country and they accept that other people have different opinions. So even though they would never ask for euthanasia or abortion, uh, they agree with the fact that it is a fact of life and it's going to be there. We have a high level of human rights protection. Um, we have a high standard of health. This is not to, uh, to brag about, this is something that's fair. High standard of health care is a high uh, universal, universal health care system, so everybody has an insurance. Um, and we've had a recent debate on female genital mutilation. And this is important for our uh, discussion on circumcision. Because the KMG had a very strong uh, viewpoint on uh, female genital mutilation, it said any form of genital alteration of your girls, whether it be symbolic 
of any form is prohibited and should not be done by doctors. And then, of course, the question came up by doctors who said, well, right, very good, you protect girls, now how about boys? And they said to me, they said, you're being discriminatory. So you're protecting girls and you're not protecting boys. And they had a point. They did have a point. Another important thing is that we don't have a tradition of uh, NTC is non therapeutic circumcision. Um, uh, as it is in the US, as this has been a, a cultural norm or a medical norm, we don't have that. I mean, it's, it's simply not done. You don't do it for medical reasons. The only reason why you do it is for religious reasons, which is a whole different uh, area of uh, discussion from, from the US. There's no government funding of uh, circumcision. It was until 2005 that we have what we call a, a basic, health, basic healthcare system. Um, it, it, it has to have a basic healthcare package. And up until 2005, it was in the healthcare package. After that, not anymore. And then things changed. Because um, after that, um, it wasn't done in hospitals anymore. Because it was too expensive. So we had special circumcision clinics that I'll tell you a little more about. Could you pour me some water? Could you pour me some water? Oh, sure. The fluid, the fluid stuff. Um, so, there was no financial interest anymore um, for circumcision. The, the, the urologists and the surgeons didn't make any money out of it anymore. Wonderful, thanks. So, how was the situation of circumcision in the Netherlands? First of all, it's not a, it's not a norm. It, in fact, it was very rare. Um, up until the, the, the 60s and the 70s, when there was a large influx of immigrant workers, mainly from the Turkish and Moroccan uh, society. And they were from the, um, the most un uneducated parts of Turkey and Morocco. They didn't come from the cities, they came from the rural areas where unemployment was high. So most of the people who came into Holland to work in, the, in, in factories, uh, they were very low educated. And only then was circumcision uh, did it actually rise. Because before that, really nobody did it. Uh, it was only the Jews that did it, but we have a very small Jewish community in the Netherlands of about 50,000. Um, and, and they do it at home, so it, it wasn't in, in the public area. And so it's only performed for religious reasons for, by Jews and Muslims. We, we know, nobody really knows how much it happens. We, we think it's about between 10 and 15,000. And 99% of those are in Muslim bodies. And we, we estimate about a 50 or 100 uh, by the Jewish community. Rarely is it done in hospitals because it is too expensive for parents and only for therapeutic reasons um, the hospitals will still do it. What we have is so-called circumcision clinics. These are private clinics, they're not real clinics. It's not a hospital or anything, it's just a room that people rent in a, in, in, in a school or whatever and there on a Saturday they will perform uh, these circumcisions and then they will call it a circumcision clinic, which is well, it's not very clinic. The Jews, as you know, uh, they perform it at home by a Jewish mohil. Most of the mohils in the Netherlands are doctor. We have two uh, mohils who are not a doctor, and they perform the circumcisions in the Orthodox Jewish community. Maybe as it is in other countries, there is a, an Orthodox Jewish community and a liberal uh, Jewish community. In the liberal Jew Jewish community, only doctors are performing circumcisions. As I said, there is no more government funding anymore. 
And then, so what we have now is these circumcisions clinic, and it's insured privately. You can have a private insurance. And then you'll get these commercials, you won't be able to read it. Um, it's a free, free circumcision. Schatz means free, Schneiders means circumcision. And as a little star, it's not really free, of course, it's just it's insured. So it's free. And then it says here, the improved circumcision, painless aesthetic circumcision without sutures or bleeding. Well, how, how they can promise that, I don't know. <laughs> this, is, this is on their website. And then this happy boy, I'm sure it was before the circumcision. Because <laughs> 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 afterwards, they usually don't get that happy. <laughs> well, he's happy about it being painless, right? Anyway. So why did we write Viewpoint? Because most of you know that we published the Viewpoint in 2010. Well, first of all, because I think we stand in a tradition uh, since World War II, and maybe even before that, of, uh, of growing human rights and children's rights. As you know, there's been lots of debate on women's rights, on gay rights in the Netherlands especially, uh, on animal rights, um, and I think the, the, the debate on circumcision is, is part of that debate. It's just a, a normal uh, thing that you would expect. First they were the women, then they were the gays, the animals, and now it's the children. <laughs> and it's, it's, it's a sort of an evolution of human rights. I always like to say that we, I'm a philosopher and I say that the moral commu community is getting larger and larger. In the olden days, it was only the, the royals that were part of the moral community, then the, the laymen would be part of the moral community, then the women would become part of the moral community, and then the children and the gays. So I think this is a normal evolution of human rights, and it's, it's a very natural. We also have a growing concern with complications because of the fact that after 2005, the surgeons would not perform it anymore. It would be done in the clinic. They would only see the complications. So they weren't making any money out of it, but they would spend a lot of time on dealing with complications. And they'd hate that. Because they'd be fixing other people's stop circumcisions. And like I said, we have this discrepancy between female genital mutilation and lack of position on male circumcision. So we published it in, in 2010. I'm not going to tell you too much about it. It's on the internet, and I know a lot of you read about it. So what was, what was in the viewpoint? Um, I said, there's no evidence that it is uh, useful or necessary. It shouldn't be done. Um, it violates a rule, uh, which is a very important rule for doctors, that you can only uh, perform medical treatment on, on, on children who cannot consent if an illness or abnormality is present, if the kid is sick, or the second reason, if the medical intervention is in the best medical interest of the child. Because people would say, yeah, yeah, you're right, only when the kid is sick, but what about vaccinations? And we say, well, you can uh, expect vaccinations are really in the best medical interest of the child and of society as well, because of her community, of her immunity. It also conflicts with the child's right to autonomy, the freedom of religion. People would say freedom of religion, since when have children freedom of religion? And we like to think that children do have freedom of religion, meaning they should be able to choose which religion they will have or abandon it, as more likely in the Netherlands, uh, later on in life. And it violates the child's right to physical integrity. And we think that uh, we call upon doctors that they should implement policy of the church. They should talk to parents and discourage them to go on with the, uh, with, with the surgery. We didn't call upon politicians, we called upon physicians. Stop being neutral, go, to, go talk to parents, 
and tell them not to do it. We did do think that there is a good reason for a prohibition. And many, many people ask, so if, if it's that bad, if it's that damaging, if it is so much a violation of, of human rights, why don't you call for a ban? And really, we talked about it a lot. Most of the debate amongst all the scientific societies that endorsed the, yeah, the position paper were about whether we should call for a ban or not. Because a lot of the scientific organization wanted us to call for a ban. And in the end, we said, no, we didn't, we're not going to call for a ban, because it might be counterproductive. What you see, and this is what, what's happening in Germany now, um, is because there's a call for a ban, you, you see that the Jews and the Muslims are, are, are going together, and they will cling to this, uh, to the, to, to this ritual. And for, it is so important for them, it is so deeply ingrained in their culture, um, that they will do it anyway. And they might do it on the kitchen table with a kitchen knife or in the butcher. And then the problems for the child are far bigger than they are now. So we are very much afraid by, uh, of it going underground. There's not that much evidence for that, but um, I think it will go underground. People will do it underground. And we'd rather have, will not do that. Right. It was jointly endorsed, and this was most of the work, by all the scientific organizations. There were seven of them, and it took, it took us about two years to convince all these organizations to have one, uh, it's just one, uh, one um, piece of paper to agree with the text on the paper. But in the end, we managed, um, general practitioners, the youth health care physicians, the pediatric surgeons, the plastic surgeons, pediatric and pediatricians, neurologists and surgeons all agree with this statement. I think that is quite exceptional. <coughs> right, so what happened next? Well, not too much, to be honest. And there are several reasons for that. First of all, when we published it, it was in April 2010, it was election time. In the election time, um, the politicians, they didn't want to bother with this. Some angry articles were, were published. Uh, you know all the arguments here. Well, this is an important ritual. ritual. You're uh, appealing the freedom of religion. You're an anti-Semitist, which I've been called a lot of times. But nobody complains, so what's the, what's the big deal? Um, the tyranny of secularism, I love that argument. You're a secularist and you're trying to impose your uh, belief on others. Americans do it to all boys. Will you please stop doing that? Because it's being used as an argument here. In Europe. Well, as the Americans do it, they put, they put things on Mars. So surely they must, <laughs> surely they must know what they're doing. <laughs> Stop doing it, will ya? And then the Jews said, of course, well, if, if that is the case, uh, if it's banned, and we didn't even call for a ban, they said they would have to leave. And then we said, yeah, but we're not calling for a ban. What happened was there was a discussion amongst urologists that is still going on about the medical reasons for circumcision, because I believe that way too many circumcisions are being performed uh, for medical reasons, which in reality shouldn't be performed. Um, and amongst urologists, there's now a debate going, and this, the growing consensus is that really is never a good, uh, solid uh, indication for a, for a medical circumcision. There's this one small disease that's called lichen sclerosis, which is basically the only uh, indication for circumcision. We did get a lot of support from abroad. Thank you very much. 
I really appreciated that. It was important for us. As you know, we, we did translate the viewpoint into English, which we normally don't do because we're aimed at the Dutch market. But we translated it and we got a lot of support from abroad, and we were very happy with that. So please continue doing that. It'll make my work a little bit easier. Of course, since, since the verdict in Germany, there's been a renewed discussion. I think it's wonderful to have this, uh, this, this verdict, not, not per se because they were calling for ban, because it puts it back on the agenda. And I think that is the main thing. If, if, if something like that happens, everybody's talking about it. And that gives, a, gives an opportunity to discuss the damage being done. It will raise awareness among parents that this is not something that is normally being done. So, and that's provide an opportunity to bring it on the agenda. So why did so little happen? Well, first of all, the Dutch have a tradition of religious tolerance. In the 16th and 17th century, a lot of people who were prosecuted for their religion would come to the Netherlands because there was such a liberal climate. So everybody was saying, what happened to the Dutch? They used to be so tolerant towards religion, and now all of a sudden, they're clamping down on religion. What happened to them? And people were, were worried about it. Now, what we heard, heard a lot is people say, oh, it's their thing. Because it is. I mean, it's a thing of Muslims, mostly, 99%. And they say, well, it's not our problem. Because as it is in most societies, the societal debate is being held by people like us, highly educated people. It's their thing. And they're not complaining. So what's the problem? And another thing is, because it's not a tradition, there's very little knowledge about it. Nobody really knows how damaging it can be. I heard a reverend guy there say, well, it's just a fact of skin, no big deal. And I told him about it, because the more you know, the more you're against it. Um, and he was quite shocked about that. But because it's not a tradition, nobody really knows about it. Nobody knows about it. And I think one of the biggest problems is the fear of being called anti-Semitic. Uh, because, as you might know, the Dutch were quite, um, the Dutch have had a very, very bad reputation during the Second World War because so many Jews were transported uh, to the gas chambers from the Netherlands. And there's still a national feeling of guilt about that. And that, is, that feeling is very, very strong. So everybody's very much afraid of hurting uh, religious feelings and of being called anti-Semitic. And that is the main problem at the moment. Now another thing is, is we have the rise of an anti-Islam Islam party. You might have heard the name of Geert Wilders, uh, it's a, which is a, a very uh, outspoken anti-Islam party uh, that you really don't want to be involved with. And because he was so strong and he's bashing, he's bashing Muslims every day, that's his, that's his job. The, the intelligent people, uh, people like us, they would say, well, we don't want to be like him, because you really don't want to be like him. Um, but if we start doing this, being against circumcision, they will think, people will think that we will be in favor of great builders. But in actual fact, Geert Wilders is in favor of circumcision because he's, he's very much in favor of Israel, which he sees as a last bastion against the rising hordes of the Arabs. So, and he's being paid for by, uh, or so the suggestion goes, by U.S. Jews who pay lots of money for him. So he's very much in favor of, uh, of the, the circumcision. And a lot of people are, are fearing they are strengthening these feelings. There are quite a lot of anti-Islam feelings uh, people think it's on the run. I think it's going down, but in those days, uh, there were a lot of anti-Islamic People were fearful of strengthening, strengthening those feelings. We did have a debate on ritual slaughter of, uh, of animals. We have, a, we have another political party, it's called the Party for the Animals, 
And then they started a discussion on ritual slaughter. And that was the year, year before that. And people said, well, now we've had this discussion, and if we start this discussion on circumcision, it will, be, it will look as if we're going after religious practices, which in reality is not true. Is this one of these factors that, that, that influences the debate? Another thing is that uh, very few circumcised men complain about it. Because that, that's always one of the, the arguments, as you know, people will say, well, nobody's complaining, what's the problem? And that is true. I mean, as I know in the UK and in the US, you have people complaining, you have websites for that. We don't have that. So it looks to the outside world as if nobody complains about it. And so that raises the question, then what is the problem? And human rights organizations don't see it as a problem. We've been talking to Amnesty, to our children's ombudsman, to Defense for Children. We've talked to everybody. And they just don't seem to catch on that this is a human rights issue. They see it as a religious issue. I think the end, they will see it as a human rights issue, but it takes years to convince them. Another problem is that we don't have reliable figures on complications. All, the, all the, the studies that have been there are, are, are not from the Netherlands. So the circumcision clinics will say, well, sure, that we, there are complications in other parts of the world. <laughs> but we do it, we don't have any complications. Of course, they do have them, but it's just not being registered. So we don't have re reliable figures uh, on that. Do we have urologists who say, oh, I see complications every week, but of course that's not very reliable. They're just being called anti-circumcision people, and that'll be all. So, but still, I think things are changing. As you know, I'm an optimist. Um, and what happens is with the, with the Moroccan and Turkish people, you see them, if, if you enter the Netherlands, you're bound to be secularized because it's so much more fun. And that's what we're seeing. We're seeing that happening with the Tur Turkish and Moroccan people as well. They're being secularized. The, the distance from the region is getting more and more. We see more and more mixed marriages. Um, and we're seeing a rising level of education. And before, the more you know, well. So with this rising level of education, we're seeing that more and more parents are having doubts about circumcision. We don't have any figures on that. Uh, but it's a feeling that you have. If you talk to people, if you look on the websites of, of young Moroccans, young Turks, you'll see that they'll have doubts about it. And it's becoming more and more what we call an empty ritual. If you go to Turkey or Morocco and somebody's being circumcised, there'll be whole big parties and parades and everything. It's not that anymore. You go to a clinic, you have a circumcised, and you go home, and that is it. So it's an empty ritual. It's not being done for riches anymore. It's being done simply because somebody else is doing it. And it's done out of social pressure, not because people have such strong religious feelings, because the religious feelings are getting less and less. So I think we should focus, uh, at least in the Netherlands, or maybe it would be different in other countries, uh, um, on these hesitant parents. Parents are getting more and more hesitant, and they will discuss it at the kitchen table. And we should focus our attention there. And also, the doctors that I speak to will say that they're getting used to the idea of discarding. This also takes years for them. It's not a question of whether they should be uh, discouraging. They, they're asking themselves, okay, we agree with you that we should discourage this, but how should we do it? And that, I think, is the next step. First, you have to convince them they should be doing it, and now is the next phase that we'll be entering for the next years, um, and tell them how we should do it. Because it's a very difficult subject to raise. The arguments I think they should use is not human rights, because um, people are not so sensitive about it, I've noticed. People are very sensitive um, with regards to their children for pain, complications. So yes, five minutes, yes, thank you, I know. Uh, this is my 
Um, if you talk about pain, about complications, about sexual problems later in life, nobody knows about that. Morton will tell you about it. Um, but n nobody really knows about that. And doctors should use these arguments uh, to tell the parents. Because really, many, many mothers uh, will grab any opportunities to say no. Because they're very pressured by their mothers and by their grandparents to circumcise. Uh, but they really don't want to. Because no, what, what mother would actually like to damage her child? So doctors should be supporting the hesitant mothers, as we call them. So this is my last slide. Thoughts for the future. Um, we should keep it on the agenda. We should be very happy with papers of the AIP. We should be happy with things happening in Germany because it gives us an opportunity to discuss it with parents. It gives us um, an opportunity to put the arguments forward. And I think that is very, very important. We should pray for the AIP to put out more silly papers like that. <laughs> we should encourage critical voices. There are those voices, people from the inside, as we call it, um, that are critical of circumcision. And we should encourage them. We should give them voices. We should interview them in our magazines. We should put them up on our website. And it should be from within. Because if you're from outside, like me, you're being called an anti-Semite, or you're being called a secularist, or a humanist, or whatever, which is all true. That's true. But it's far more convincing if people from within who have been circumcised um, come about. We should find influential voices to support the cause. We're, we've been trying to get the Amnesty International uh, Defense for Children. One more minute? Yes, yes, I my last time. Um, and we should follow the money. As it is in America, if we should try to save in the Netherlands, we should make sure that it cannot be insured anymore. Because that way, people will have to uh, spend money for themselves. And then, if you spend money, you have to talk about it. And then, also, also we should get more and more figures on complications. Because we really don't have money. So, we're, we're trying to. And we shouldn't turn parents into criminals. I, I always try to avoid the terms torture or genital mutilation. I know many of you do. And I think perhaps in certain circumstances it can be useful in other countries, but in the Netherlands this wouldn't work. Because if we make parents into criminals, and they're really not, not criminals, they try to do what they think is best for their child. And trust me, it's not going to go away in a few years. It's been here for thousands of years, although there's debate about it, whether it's been there in Egypt, I didn't know that. Um, but it's been here for a long time, and it's not going to go away uh, in any few years. It's going to take a decade, or a generation, or two. That's all right. In the end, it will go away. Trust me, I'm an optimist. We stand in a long tradition of human rights. Um, and human rights, if you look at history, have always prevailed. Whether it be for gays, or for, you, or for, for animals, or for women, they have always prevailed. And this one, we will also win. Thank you. There is one question in the back row. Yeah. I want to ask, why do you turn the parents who circumcise their girls into criminals? Should you do the same thing with No, we didn't turn them into criminals. No. It's forbidden. It's forbidden, but that doesn't make them into criminals. Well, one of the, one of the main differences is there was a lot of opposition uh, from within. The women who had been circumcised actually called for a ban themselves. Which is different from the Jewish. And I, I, I was saying, I called for them. Yes, I know. <laughs> um, but many people, not many Jews or Muslims, 
we'll do that for boys in the Netherlands at least. And I think that is very important because if you don't, if you make a law and nobody agrees with the law, then people will just will not obey the law. I think that, that is a main difference. But you're, you're, you're absolutely right. We've had lots of talks about it, and if you say, well, you should call for a ban, well, I can, I can very much understand that. And I think, in the end, maybe they will, but it, it will take time. And it will take more support from the Jewish and, and Muslim communities to do that. But if we do it at this time, it's really going to be counterproductive. There's a question. Uh, yes. The, um, the new AAP statement has some unusual language in it saying that um, they want to monitor international reaction to their statement, which some of us have interpreted to mean they are hoping that non-U.S. medical organizations will temper their language so that there's greater collegiality and sort of closer cooperation on the message. Do you see KNMG uh, modifying its language so as to be less in uh, direct conflict with where the AAP is going? <laughs> no, I would not. Let's just say we're working on a... Morton, would you like to talk about that? Yeah, I can say that uh, actually uh, together with... Uh, Hang on. Morton and I have been working on a paper well, I'm not sure how secret it is, so I'll give you one. Not anymore. Not anymore now. No, we just switch up to the. No, that's right. Actually, Northern Europe, uh, with colleagues also, uh, representative in, in Canada also, rapidly put together a response to the AAP's new technical report, and it's currently under consideration and in review now, even though this is pretty unusual to send out such letters in review. But uh, it explicitly states that uh, the uh, European view on this, or at least the northern European view, or some of the southern parts as well, are also represented. To, uh, 37 professors in, uh, in pediatric, pediatrics, yeah, pediatric, yeah, sure. pediatric surgery, general representatives of general medical associations in several countries in Europe have protested against this. And um, hopefully, that will be. All the chairs of all the scientific organizations in Western Europe have signed. So, but it's very neutral, very scientific. I'm not the chair. Here's a question. Please. We don't know if it's going to be accepted, but uh, somewhere it will come out. Oh, it will be published. It's not about pediatrics somewhere else. Please. Uh, you mentioned the case of vaccinations, which sometimes people bring up as an analogy. They say it's an intervention that's done without consent. Is it a city? Now, the, the way that you push back against that is you said, yes, well, vaccinations are in the best health interests of the child and even have these general population advantages as yeah. well. Now, as you know, there are a number of researchers who are trying to make that case for circumcision. They say, well, look, it carries all these health advantages and it works just like a vaccination. But so, so there are two ways to push back. The first is to uh, dispute their, their evidence. But the second way would be to show that it's really a disanalogy for other reasons. And I wonder how you might frame that argument. Well, the thing is, the medical argument is never being used in the Netherlands. I know that, that in the US, the argument is being used that this, this thing is a, is a, is a vaccination for HIV. Well, that's, that argument, as you know, is, is getting yeah, on traction it's, with these... It's, not being, used in, it's so. not being used in the Netherlands. Yeah. Because even if it was 60%, it would be a lousy vaccine, wouldn't it? Mm -hmm. <laughs> I always use the analogy of, of the rhythm method of uh, uh, sexual intercourse, you know that? The, 
that when you have intercourse only is it called the birth control? Right. If it was effective for sixty percent, all women would be pregnant. <laughs> it would just take over. You know what people people use the rhythm. Of it. I mean, it's been shown, and, and that is that is about the same effectiveness. It's about sixty percent effective, and it, 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 it's been proven that in the end, all women will become pregnant. It's the same with this. Even if it was sixty percent, and it isn't, as we all know, in the end, everybody would be infected. Mm. It just takes longer. Okay, let's take a last comment from there. Thanks. I'd like to just put there and some information. Um, I'm from Australia. David Forbes was the chair of the, of the Royal Australian College of Physicians Committee, which formulated the 2008 apology statement, which was, didn't go quite as far as the KMMG, but um, he was on radio recently uh, doing battle against one of the sort of serial proponents of yeah. unnecessary surgery on children. And um, from everything David was saying, because of their attacks, he and his committee members are getting stronger and stronger and stronger in their position that it is unethical that it is contrary to his official rights. And 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 Jim, so so we, you, you two generally refer to that there is a strengthening feeling amongst the this higher levels of the medical profession in the Australia. So they're against it? That they're against it? Well, you, you read the, the, the policy yeah. two years ago. What I'm saying is that in the in the media debate that's following, they're, strength, they're, they're tightening up on it, they're strengthening okay. Be Because of the attacks. Well, it, it, it's exactly the same what happened to us because we, yeah. we uh, tried to get in contact with all these pediatricians in, in Europe and everybody was really angry at the AFP. And they would, they would love to sign. It wasn't very hard to get a signature, was it? <laughs> it, was, it was really easy. It took us a, a ten, ten, ten days to get 37 signatures in 17 countries. And those were, these are, those are all the most high-ranking pediatricians in Europe. They're not just intactivists. How did they're you go really, with the epidemiologists, though? Because in Australia, the attacks are coming from Stephen Lever, from Alex Wojak, from, from people who are involved in STI, in sexual transmission disease, or right. prevention. They're, they're the big attackers at the moment. Are you finding that in Europe as well? Did, did we get any signatures? So we focused on the clinical doctor. Yeah. 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 I personally am an epidemiologist. Right. I'm sorry, but we have to cut this discussion now. Yeah. Okay. But you can continue on the break. <laughs> and I'm very sorry, I'm, I'm not going to be able to spend more time. I have to, my flight is at 5 or 6 o'clock. So I won't be able to spend uh, the other days with you. I hope you have a very good conference. Thank you very much. That's our show. If you have any questions, comments, or suggestions, please email them to us at cutdocumentary at gmail.com. And if you like what you've heard today, please support us by buying our film at www.cutthefilm.com.